Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Portable Church Industries over at PortableChurch.com. So I'm getting ready to plant a church again. And here's the deal. Uh, the most valuable resource you have is people. So the important thing to remember is it's worth making an investment in the people that are serving your team, your setup, your teardown, all of that. And Portable Church has actually made that a whole heck of a lot easier so that you're looking after your greatest resource your people. Make the setup and teardown of your church easy, logical, and play a game of Tetris when you're packing up and unpacking. And trust me, that will pay out dividends to your church plant in a way you never expected before. Again, head on over to PortableChurch.com. And remember, if we don't believe in it, we're not going to tell you about it. PortableChurch.com. And if they don't pay us, we're not going to tell you about it well, either. Hey, hey. Uh, I'm the worst 30-second commercial maker ever. I know. That was actually a minute. That's a minute. It clock. I'm surprised it doesn't clock out at like a minute 20. It was actually like a minute four or something like that. But it was from my heart. Hey, do you remember Nana? Nana? Oh, yeah. Hello. I'm sorry. I'm a grandma and I dialed the number wrong, honey. I was looking for my granddaughter. I'll try the number again. Sorry. Thank you. Bye-bye. So you remember that Nana. so sweet. That's like the nicest. Okay. Nana so called again. Nana called again. She did not call again. I'm sorry, Mr. Paul Mitchell. I've dialed the wrong number. I'm trying to reach a granddaughter. Bye-bye. Oh, my gosh. I'm now Paul Mitchell. I've always <laughs> wanted to be Paul Mitchell. That dude's got money, and now I'm Paul Mitchell. Uh, now, uh, is that what prompted the new style? Oh, 
No. Paul, now that people are calling you Paul Mitchell, you, you went in front of the – it's like when kids cut their own hair. Tell them what you did, Pete. No, you tell them what I did because you were the one that noticed. Well, he gets on there. I'm like, dude, you dropped weight or what? You know, and, uh, I, you know, I, I don't play this game well with my wife, you know. Do you notice anything different? I would make a terrible detective. But I'm like, dude, what? And he goes, I shaved my goatee. And I'm like, holy cow, you look like baby face Malone. I know. So here's here's the deal. Uh, just a few short years ago, I had a red goatee. <laughs> <laughs> it's not red anymore, man. Then you started getting involved with church planning. Uh, then I just got old, like overnight. I don't know what happened. And I encourage everyone not to do it, if at all possible. Don't get old. So my goatee is, it's pretty gray now, pretty white. I I mean, the rest of my hair, in fact, I was telling my wife the other day, I go, you know, when I don't put the gel in my hair, you can see a lot of white hair. Like, I've got a lot of white hair, but you don't see it when I got the gel in there. Right. So so Luke's been like, I want to see you with just a mustache. And I'm like, yeah, I can be Officer Pete Mitchell with just a mustache or... 70s porn star. Either way, I'm thinking win-win. Shave what the goatee. What would Justin think about that, though? I think as your pastor, he might have something to say. I think he'd be all for it. Career. So when I hung out with him this week in the pizza place in Huntington Beach, your name came up. Did you see him? No, you didn't talk I to him. I did. Again? No. I bumped into him. You were gone. He, for the second time in my life. Someone came up to me and said, uh, hey, you're not Peyton Jones, are you? So our other podcast listener, which is Dustin, um, I, I was with my best friend from childhood. We told him stories about how we used to play Star Wars. Poor Dustin. But I met him. He's a super cool dude, man. Like, we always joke around about how he stole my Pete. And, uh, and I had to say to him, you know, we are just teasing on that when we rubbish you, right? And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I probably wouldn't have said hi otherwise. <laughs> he was super cool. I didn't know you talked to him. Yeah. I can see why you still go to his church, even though he said he wasn't that great of a preacher. Oh, my God. I'm just teasing. That's just another way to rubbish you, Dustin, for stealing my Pete. He never said that. So he, he actually says nice things about you. I think he's just trying to make me jealous. Actually, I don't think I talk about him. I think you're just trying to make me look good. <laughs> don't give Dustin another thought. I know I won't. <laughs> that line is now seared into your head. You know oh when someone gosh. when it someone three times this week in conversation, I've wanted to bust that out. At yeah. least three times. And just wasn't appropriate. Yeah. Like so many things I get from you. So so last night before I go to bed, I shave off the goatee and I leave the mustache. Here's the problem. When you're already as fair skinned as I am. And you've got basically a white mustache. It just hides. Like, you can't yeah. see it. Yeah. So, and then I realized, ah, oh, I actually got to go see one of my clients today. I can't go in there with the, the mustache look. Like, I don't think really anybody outside of, like, Caesar can pull off the mustache. But even he's got, like, little curlies on the end of his to show how cool he is. Oh, Yeah. So yeah, he's kind of, now he's older than us. You know, that dude's almost like 60 years old. I know. And look at how good he looks. Holy crap. What I'm happened like, to us? The secret uh, and, cocaine, uh, cocaine. 
No, I, I remember him saying something super funny um, was his secret, but I can't repeat it. But, um, yeah, he uh, – <laughs> Now, now he I'm is. dying to know. You can't repeat it on the podcast? Must have been yeah. good. Yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, that dude – man, I you know, I looked old when I was young. I mean, I, I'm a guy that just prematurely aged, you know? I don't know what's up with that. I, well, you know, I think they said that about Spurgeon after he um, went through the fire. Um, it wasn't a fire, sorry. Somebody shouted fire at his chapel at New Park Street. And uh, the, um, the weight of the balcony collapsed when people stampeded and it crushed. I think, I'm probably wrong on this, but I think like 9 to 12 people, something like that, died. Um, from that, and he never recovered. They said that he aged visibly uh, since that. And I always kind of look back on being in ministry, an assistant pastor of a mega church at twenty, and uh, you know, kind of interim pastor at twenty-two, and you're you're twenty years old, and you're not even married, and you're having to do people's marriage counseling, and when they're breaking up, hitting each other, or whatever it is, and you're like, oh man, I'm not, you know. I want to kill myself and you're 20 years old, you know, of course, you know, with my career, my, my, my education, I was a youth pastor at first. I'm dealing with people dying, you know, right in front of me doing CPR on them. So from a young age, man, I did kind of have a lot of traumatic experiences. It's not like my, okay. Like my life. So what's my excuse? I've had pretty much a laissez faire life. I mean, I'm like, Hey, what's up? Living it. You've been doing that right, brother. I'm Dude, saying, I look old something. as snot. I don't know what to say. I'm like, what the heck? You know, for some people, it's just like, I think God balances things out, too, because I think God was like, hey, you know, he has red hair. Let's just let's give him a break. You know, he's already got red hair. What's the break? I had to shave the goatee to look young. Where's my break? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But you look young. That's the difference. Well, when you shave it. Seriously, you guys, Pete, you got to put a picture of yourself. Because I look at this face every week, man. So it's like, I'm looking at you going, what in the heck? That's what I tried to tell Jamie. I'm like, there is, I no longer need to be married to you old woman. (laughs) I can go find me a young woman now because I look like 10 years younger. And and the funny thing is, these are things that most of us would laugh with our friends about. Pete actually will say this to Jane, and of course she will laugh. Well, inside she's crying. Is perfectly matched to Pete's sense of humor. Did you like that? Inside she's crying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were laughing before because your dog walked by, and I went, "Hey, your dog's kind of skinny." And uh, we started talking about your your dog, and I said, "Hey, which is that, Ricky or Lucy?" Oh. It's Ricky, you know, and <laughs> goes, my kids like to remind me frequently, Lucy's dead. <laughs> like, Lucy was my girl. Lucy was my dog. I, I mean, even though Jamie hated it, my dog was like 65 pounds. I'd still have her sleep on the bed. She'd snuggle up in my armpit, right? She'd be like hanging out right there. This was my dog. So when I had to put her down, man, I was devastated. And yeah. so my kids today, oh, you know, Lucy's dead, right, Dad? Thanks a lot, kid. You know dogs don't go to heaven, right, Dad? Great. Thanks a lot, kid. Thanks for telling me we probably won't see her again, theologically anyways. Appreciate that, kids. Which, yeah. by the way, disclaimer, 
Um, that is not the position. These views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Church Planner Magazine. I happen to believe that our pets will be in heaven because heaven's just that awesome. I I actually uh, I I don't know if our pets will be, but I we live I, in hope, brother. I've I've read some compelling arguments. Let me just say that I've read some okay. compelling arguments that I I couldn't argue against theologically. And okay, so here's the deal. I, I, I literally remember hearing Wayne Grudem. I, this is what a theology geek I was. I went to a retreat for a week straight where Wayne Grudem talked through a systematic theology all day. Wow. Like, you're a theology nerd, and I was a hardcore theology nerd. And, you know, <laughs> and I remember him talking about like, Okay, the, 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 look, he made this argument. I, I don't even want to tell you guys this, but he made this argument that we cannot say with any certainty that our babies that we lose will be in heaven. And he says, for example, David says, I will go to be with him. He cannot come to be with me. But this is not conclusive. And I'm thinking, buddy, if there's a loophole, if there's any passage in there, like that passage that seems to give the indication that we will see our lost babies, please leave that door open for people that are in grieving. And he was like, nope, yeah, we can't draw any theological. And I'm like, dang it, man, if there's animals on the new heaven, new earth, dang it, one of them's going to be my, my Ricky. <laughs> you know I mean? It's like, or my Lucy. It, it, you know, it, it, why wouldn't it be? Oh, hey, cool, Lord. There's a, there's a pit bull here. Oh, that's neat. Kind of like my pit bull that I loved so very much. Um, I can see, Lord, how you would put a pit bull I've never met here instead of maybe the pit bull that I loved with all my heart, like a human being and a family member. I, you know, you're the Lord. But what if, I can see that. What if other people there look at your pit bull and it really was your pit bull and they're thinking, snack. Huh? Huh? They're thinking, you know, I had I had a dinner that looked just like that pit bull one time. Huh? <laughs> once again, Pete, you have rendered me speechless with your theological profundity, much like the Sunday school teacher on The Simpsons when Bart went to Sunday school <laughs> class. What if it's a robot's brain in a human body or a human body in a robot's brain? Wait, wait, wait. What if you lose your arm and work? Remember that? No, but I mean, I kind oh, of do. A great episode. Yeah. Sunday school teacher's going, I, 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 and then she quits. I quit. Hey, so you know how I tend to go on these little kicks, you know, oh, as you like no. to bring up the charger well, like, lasted a few months. <laughs> the guns have lasted actually a little bit longer than normal. Yes, it has. Yeah. I was flipping through Facebook yesterday and I got stopped cold by an ad. And I just thought to myself, uh-oh, I think I might have found my new hobby. <laughs> I have been sending you these emails for like a year. What and email you, would that be? You've never responded to them. What email? The, the shooter response ones? Oh, no, 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 no. Not that one. Not that one. No. Oh, okay. All no, right, no. Right. I did. Actually, I sent that to Justin and you. And um, Justin's like, hey, that's cool. Are you going? I think I'm going to forward this to our security team at the church. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And I was like, I, you, for me, it's a Saturday, and that's usually when I watch the kids. So that's the hard yeah. thing. I would serve the Lord, but no. Hey, <laughs> someone's got to watch the kids. Hey, hey, man, I am I'm just so weirded out by that stuff. You know, hey, come learn to shoot people in your church. I'm like, yeah, hey, even, but here's the thing, though. When you got a church, let's say like uh, Refuge Long Beach, yeah, where a good portion of the people there are not saved, right? And an active shooter comes in and starts killing them, which is a high possibility. In, in Refuge in, Long Beach, outside in the park for sure. Yeah. Remember that time we were going to get the gas station, and they're like, "What about the drive-bys?" I'm like, "Oh, that's no problem, man. We'll put the Sunday school down in the in the automotive pit." You know, were they the worried about drive-bys? Because in that area, that'd be stupid to worry about drive-bys. Remember the one on Seventh and No, uh, I know Seventh and Atlantic, dude. That was such a nice area in Long Beach. No, no, so not the one where we're. we're I went to the gas, gas station. station. Remember, I was like in charge of that team. Oh, really? Yeah, I would not have worried about drive-bys there. Really? Oh, yeah, not at all. Okay, you're talking all about right. some white people from Huntington Beach going, "What about drive-bys?" That's you needed people like me from Long Beach who were like, "That ain't where the drive-bys happen." You know where our park was. Right where we were meeting at Bixby Park, dude, there was a lot of shots. Oh, dude, I told you. We'd be circling, looking for a parking spot, and like, they're doing a drug deal right by my car. <laughs> my windows are down, and Jamie's like, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, dude, my windows are down. If I said, hey, look at that, they're doing a drug deal, he can turn around and shoot me. Yeah. Yeah, that was a rough, yeah, that neighbor. I, I assume that the one on uh, down uh, towards Atlantic was even worse. Nah. It was, no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't bad at all. Okay, all right. I wouldn't have worried about it at all. Okay, of course I'm also packing heat. No, so anyway, here's my <coughs> here's my my new hobby. I'm I'm contemplating. I don't know how to bring it up with Jamie though. <laughs> it was get your pilot's license. <gasps> okay, I, now this is one I could totally get down with. And I was like, not, I ain't jumping in no plane, Hannibal. I was like, I ain't jumping oh. in no plane. Oh, dude, and it was like, you can get it for as little as 5000 or you can get, like, I guess they have a new, the FAA came out with a new license called the Sport Pilot License. Yeah. And so, supposedly, it's easier. It's less, you know, work to get it. I think you can't, like, fly at night or something else. And, like, honestly, like, I would even want to fly at night. (laughs) I wouldn't want to land at night. But I'm like, ooh, dude. This might be the ticket right well, here. Well, this is kind of cool because there's that saying that you know um, you you pick you pick your friends whether by whether or not they have a boat. So I'm I'm thinking you know the bet the only thing better than your friend having a boat is your friend having a plane. This means you get a plane, then Peyton starts learning to fly because Peyton doesn't have to buy a plane. I just use Pete's plane. I'll be, I'll be is- like, hey Pete, let's go. Like Let's to, go fly planes, to man. get the the sport license, you can only fly a, a two seater plane, and a, and they were like saying this is what it costs per hour for instruction and fuel of the flight, and it was like maybe one hundred and twenty bucks an hour, two hundred bucks an hour, or something like that. I was like, dude, that is cheap. I'm like, not for me, not for church planners, man. Church planners are listening to this going. Oh man, that's like my six month budget for recreational activities. Yeah, well, you guys need to join the Bivo Winter Circle and learn how to make the money. That's all I got <laughs> yeah, to say. You can afford flying license. So it, here, here's the deal, though. Imagine what we could do at Exponential. We could like fly our own banners through there. You know, we could fly over top. We could drop things. Can we could we hang midgets out the plane? Well, you can't say midgets uh, unless little they people? are performing. You know, little that's people? a performer. 
So uh, I suppose if there's performing, you could. But and they could like throw ninja stars while hanging outside of the plane. So so some of you guys know this because you've listened for a long time back. But in the very beginning, we went to Exponential, and Exponential was really good to us. And they're like, hey, boom, boom, boom. But they had a thing where they couldn't let any just anyone interview. So we had film cameras, everything, and they were trying to be really cool to us, saying, hey, you know, but. We, we couldn't be on the grounds of the conference. So we, it was at Rick Warren's church and we talked to his people and said, Hey, um, can we film in your offices? And they were cool about it. So we got like Derwin Gray and some other, other big names and it was kind of cool. Um, but what, what we said was what we should do is do almost like, you know, back then they had like flash mobs and I was like, what I want to do is do like a quick, like ninja strike. Where we pull up, and back then, Breaking Bad was the big deal, and also Walking Dead, and both had Winnebago's. So we're like, let's do, let's wrap a Winnebago with Church Planner magazine, and let's have a bunch of little people people ninjas. Because this was an early conversation. This is not made up. You can actually rent little people for. Is this even right to say? This is five years on now. Things are more sensitive than they were five years ago. But you can rent them for parties or for whatever. And so I was like. Don't deny hey. them their livelihood. Promote what, what they can do. Come on. They need so, advertising. So Brandon Brooks, who's a faithful listener, was like, hey. He goes. <laughs> so he sends me this picture of his buddy in Hollywood dressed like a ninja. Little little person dressed like a ninja. And he goes, Peyton, do I get the job? Hi-ya! And he's doing all this res. I still have that clip. And uh, anyways, we we're going to have a bunch of them. And they were going to be running around with foam swords throwing Ninja Star postcards of Church Planner magazine. It's going to be like the best advertising ever. Mm. It never happened. Yeah, but now never with did. the plane, we could have them parachute out and still throw in it. I just, I, want, have the I just want to dangle them on a chain. I have the cards. I just want to dangle them on a chain and like have them no. throw Ninja Stars. Paper no, Ninja you Stars. You lose your license if you dangle people out of your airplane. How do you chains. know? How do you know? Because you have to have a special license to dangle people in chains out of your airplane. That's a stuntman license. That's a stuntman license. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's called. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I don't know, do you, man. Do you ever talk to your wife sometimes and partway through it you're saying, you're like, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 and you realize I'm actually, I just made that up. But I was convinced I knew it. Now that I'm talking, I realize I have no clue what I'm talking about. I can't honestly say I've done that. Yeah, I do. Instead of sometimes, I do frequently say, I don't know. But every once in a while, I'll catch myself saying something. I'm like, I don't actually know that, but that sounded really good. And it's kind of what I think. And then I'll have to back up and say, actually, I don't know. You don't do that? I think that's a dude thing, right? Like you just, you think you know more more than what you know. No. Oh, no. I see your wife in the background. Go get her. Jamie, come here. No, she can't Jamie. Hear she can't hear you. He says he doesn't do that. She's going to tell a different story. Get her on here. No, she won't. I'm telling you, she won't. <laughs> She's going to be like, Pete knows everything. Hey, your and mic is rubbing up against your shirt, and it's giving us. a boy right now. Your mic is rubbing up against your shirt, and it's giving us really bad feedback. That's the kind of music you like. Are, are you done? <laughs> I think I better be done. Okay. So right. How do we get into the topic today? You know, and uh, we never did tell him what to expect. Today. But yes, I approve of your new hobby. And I would love to talk to you about your flying escapades for the many months to come. 
Yeah, I would I would be doing regular trips to Nevada and Arizona. Wow. That's I, cool. You could get a side hustle. I know, right? I could like bring in all the stuff that's illegal, like straws. You know what's gonna happen is you're gonna say this. I could be smuggling straws into California. And it's and you're gonna end up being a missionary pilot. I mean, I know how God works <laughs> in your life. That's exactly you I shouldn't have told you. I should have just let it happen because it's like God constantly tricks you into I'll be ministry. I'll be That's a missionary pilot packing heat and shooting you know, at the I'm bad guys. I hired my, my, my friend who my former business <laughs> colleague who's going to jail and then you lead him to Jesus and then you just get involved with prison ministry. But I want to be in ministry. I, I still I, haven't gotten involved in prison ministry. I've been trying. Yeah. But I've been I've been uh, denied at every turn. Are you serious? Well they don't follow up with me and oh. Surely, like that. I, I, I think. I think to myself, do I really want to drive to L.A.? That's funny. Yeah, yeah. You do got to leave your house to minister. That is one of the things. And Although I don't like I leaving my see house. How you would not, you know, this here. Hello. Yeah. You know. Yeah. People. People are shocked when I go. Yeah. Peyton and I haven't actually seen each other face to face in like a year. <laughs> so true. I mean, hey, you bought Miguel's painting. I did. It's it's right you now. You called me that night. I was so bummed. I was like, "Oh man, I wish I could have gotten the phone that night." Yeah, I think this week it'll be uh, done at the uh, the framer. I had a you know a framer put the whole thing together, and it, actually the frame cost me just as much as the painting. <laughs> Dude, he was selling way too cheap. That picture was so rad. Yeah, but that's don't that's fine. He needed the money, and I needed the painting. Because what I'd like to do with it is, I'm thinking about doing a, a contest. Or some sort of maybe silent auction, raise money for the church because Refuge Long Beach needs it. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe about doing that. Because, I mean, the cool thing about Miguel's story, for those of you who haven't heard this, I mean, he's former MS-13. He literally had one of his arms hacked off with a machete. Um, I mean. I didn't know how he lost his arm. Oh, yeah. I I had to ask. I'm like. Cause he's, you know, I'm, I'm like interviewing him, getting a story and I'm like, okay, you got to tell me why are you missing an arm? I mean, I, I knew it was gang related. I just didn't know. I didn't realize it was hacked. I thought he'd like maybe got it. Yeah. Here, you want to hear the craziest part? The craziest what? part is this. He has asylum in the United States. He cannot be shipped out of the United States because he would be killed. Yet he is not a citizen and not a resident alien. So clearly the asylum was given before Trump was president. <laughs> You know, that's, that's, that's an obvious one there, but so this is the life he has to live. He can't legally work, right? Cause he's not a citizen or an right. alien, but he also can't be kicked out right. of the country and he'll so be on probation he the rest of his life. Yeah. So he, he volunteers at the women and children's shelter since those of you that know that, uh, we... actually, I don't think he's there anymore. Oh, he's not? I don't oh. think so, because when I picked it up from him, I'm like, hey, where's the store? And he goes, oh, I'm not there anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. So I don't right. I don't know where he's at now. Yeah, so he was, uh, and what he was doing at the time was he was giving all proceeds. He was painting in their back area. And it was kind of like his makeshift studio, and he was giving the proceeds to them, which was cool, yeah. man. I mean, how transformed is a dude? He's painting these rad pictures of Jesus. Go to Go to Pete's Facebook wall. We should have them do a bunch and then wrap them off. Well, yeah, there was a there was an absolute gorgeous one, like even better than the one that I bought, and it's still at the uh, the shelter, so I could go back and buy it from them. I don't know what they were asking for it, but it was so oh, big. 
I, it was so big. I, there's no way I could get it home. Like we would need your truck. Like that's how big yeah. it is. I'm in an art buying mood right now, man. Yeah. Yeah. Ma'am. Well, you are going to have a new house eventually, and eventually stick it up on you the can't wall. Talk about it. No, but I mean, eventually you'll have a eventually. a new wall that you need to put a painting on. Yeah. Yeah. One day. One day my prince will come. So. Anyway, so, guys, let's actually get into our topic. Uh, Doc, lead us in. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. What is today's topic, Mr. Jones? Today's topic is what flavor of apostolic are you? So, um, you know, those of you that know, um, that are in the know, you know that uh, we talk about apostolic as being like a missionary, and apostolic is a gifting, meaning that you aren't going to be a pastor. You're not necessarily an evangelist. You're not just going to teach people, give them homilies and sermons. Apostolic church planners are pioneers. They cross boundaries. They contextualize the gospel. They are missionaries. That's what Paul was. And they start things. They're kind of catalysts. So when you look at the 12 that Jesus picked, um, some of them stayed in Jerusalem. In fact, the majority of them did. But then you got Peter and John. And then you got Paul, who says, I was the one born out of due time. The risen Lord appeared to me last, he says, like one born out of due time. And of course, in the same letter, he had pointed out that you have to have seen the risen Lord to be an apostle. And he says, am I not like one of the apostles? Did I not see the risen Lord like they did it? He's putting himself on an equal footing. And all this, by the way, is in Church Zero. Cha-ching! And uh, if you like Church Zero and you want some more of that, get Reaching the Unreached. Cha-ching! But uh, anyways, um, all that to say, there are two types of apostolic. Maybe there's a third one. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm learning all the time. But what I can tell you is that there are um, apostolic leaders who stay and apostolic leaders who go. In other words, um, James ran things in Jerusalem for years and never went anywhere. And he and the other apostles, there were 12, because there's 12 tribes of Israel, ran the show in Jerusalem forever. And um, and I have a feeling that they had a wider ministry throughout you know, Israel, occupied Israel. But uh, James was clearly in Jerusalem. And he was a pillar, Paul said, when he went to Jerusalem. And then he said also Peter and John were pillars. And of course, they spread out. Peter goes to Rome. John goes to uh, uh, to Macedonia. And so you've got these different dudes that are in, in three separate regions hugging the Mediterranean Sea, and they form networks. So when he says there are pillars, he was saying these guys were different, and each one of them kind of became apostolic over a region. But Paul moves around from place to place, right? We don't really get the sense that John keeps moving. We don't get the sense that Peter keeps moving. Uh, Peter moves a little bit, but you get the idea that really, um, you know, they're, they're each kind of at hubs. Ephesus was the sending hub, um, you know, from Paul's third missionary journey. Rome had multiple churches and Paul hadn't been there. That was the center of the known world. Jerusalem was the, the, the epicenter of the church itself. So you had these three kind of um, places where there's apostolic leadership descend. But then you also had Paul, who's the model of the apostle who went, 
right? So um, this is important to church planning because when you're looking at, at planning a church, here's the model that we have right now. The model is I plant a church, I start it up, I start recruiting staff, and I stay there, right? And then eventually, when I think I'm going to plant again, I, you know, I, I, it's not me planting. I'm automatically planting pregnant. I'm raising up people to plant out from my church, assuming that I will be the one staying, because after all, it's my church. It's a church I planted. That's not apostolic thinking at all. What we've done is we've taken James and John and Peter, guys who stay in one spot, we've made that the norm. Rather than taking the majority of the epistles that people mention, they're the majority of the people in Acts, looking at their model, which was they went, right? So rather than planting and thinking, I stay, but I raise up planters, it's I go, but I raise up leaders who stay. It's thinking about it backwards, or maybe it's the right way <laughs> to think about it. So the question today is, should I stay or should I go? And one of the problems that we have is our model has also financially bottlenecked us from being able to move on. So, for example, um, I would say that, you know, and you and I have talked about this before, that for me to leave, I had to set up a payment system you know, a transitional wage system where uh, maybe the first year I make 3000 a month at that church plant and the guy coming in makes zero or one. And if he has a problem with that, I go, Hey, that's what I made when I started here. Like that's like, you wouldn't do it for that. I did. I started the church with the promise of failure really. And did that. Maybe you're not the right guy for this, but a year in your pay goes down 1000 a month, his goes up. And so there's this kind of teeter system that the longer you get away from handing your church off, the less your pay goes until, meanwhile, you're planting another church, so you're taking a 1000 that first month, and then the next year you take 2000 And so as your pay is declining in the church you left, it's increasing in the place you went. And so we needed to create a system for apostolic leaders to move on. Because I would argue that most ministers don't move on because of finances. They feel in their heart like they want to go do it again. I was in a meeting, so I'm in Atlanta right now, and I was, I, I, I got to say, I served with some really, really incredible people at North American Mission Board. And this week, we locked ourselves in a room again, the second time in two months, in, in a month, and our revamping curriculum. And, you know, we're basically, um, we're talking about all of this. And one of the points I made is, look, our system is still that you plant and stay and you raise up others. In other words, you plant pregnant. And I'm like, we have not done the serious work. And we, not meaning Nam, just everybody. Nam's having the conversation. I feel like Nam is ahead of the curve. But we have guys that they're not meant to stay and they stay to the destruction of their own soul. It reminds me of David who... When it says normally when the kings go out to war, David stays at home. And, of course, that's when he meets Bathsheba. And I told the guys, I said, look, I'm convinced that a lot of these ministers that are super talented, super high capacity, they're, they're guys that you'd be like, oh, I want to reproduce them. The reason they crash and burn in adulterous affairs is that in their heart, 
there was more of an adventure waiting to happen to them again, but we didn't show them the way. We didn't show them another path of ministry, the New Testament path. They were wired for what we didn't provide. And so they ended up uh, falling because um, they sought that thrill and excitement in an illegitimate way. That legitimate adventurer spirit um, went towards um, an, an illicit titillation. You know, this, this, they, I believe that if they kept moving on, no, you aged again. I have a few concerns with what you're showing. <laughs> I should be the signal. He put his glasses on right then. I, I'm thinking deep about this and I want to comment, but you know, I'm just convinced that a lot of our guys, cause you go, how, why, what? Because it's like that Shamu in captivity. I mentioned all this in church zero teaching. Yeah. But you know, here's the thing too. And I think part of what you hit on is probably the biggest part of it. It's it's the financial dynamics that we've turned the church into. Being a pastor is now a job, uh, a vocation, in some respects, more than a calling. Like, we see it as, okay, I went to seminary. I got to go get that job. Okay, I got to start out as a youth pastor. And I'm going to climb my way up, and eventually you know, I'm going to take over when that pastor retires or leaves or quits or whatever, and that'll be my church. And we've turned the whole model into a job. And, I mean, in some in some cases, I think it's appropriate, right? I, I'm not, like, knocking the whole thing, but it has become... As you know, we've experienced this in running the Bible in a circle. We've experienced the the pastors writing in. I think it's a shame that pastors have to be bivocational. They should all be, you know, full time supported by their church. And I don't have a problem with being full time supported by your church. I have a problem with thinking that all of them should be that way because I don't like the freedom that you're talking about of being able to go from one place to another, to another, to another, to plant, to plant, to plant. Paul was able to do that because he had a vocation outside of ministry. He he had the ability to, as I would say it in today's vernacular, to create money on demand. He knew he could make tents and he could create money. So he probably had a system for gaining clients in every area he went to. I have no idea what that was back in those days. Uh, He knew how to put the things together, repair, whatever it was that he did. He had a system for gaining clients. He was a tent maker. Yeah. And and that, you know, we've mentioned this before that um, Priscilla and Aquila were very wealthy. Um, They were good at it. They would be like the Pete Mitchells of. I'm not that wealthy. Well. I'm just more wealthy than anybody you know, which does not mean I'm wealthy. You're my richest friend. I have my machoist friend, my richest friend, my coolest friend. Who's your machoist friend? Oh, Keith Olson. Who's that? Another red-headed guy from Refuge Huntington. Don't you haven't you seen him as like the big Scandinavian looking dude? He's got red hair. Keith Olson. I don't think he's, so. You'll see him laying around kind of like security there. He's he's packing. <laughs> yeah, they got the <laughs> sheep raised, dogs there. He was raised in Alaska. He was one of those like he was a salmon fisherman, then he was one of those deep sea fishermen. I thought you were gonna say it was your Navy SEAL friend. Do I have a Navy SEAL friend? Yeah, the guy Oh, who's... Chad, the kid in my youth group? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you guys ever read that book, Seal of God by uh, Chad, um, 
I'm forgetting his name, um, Williams. He, he was a kid in my youth group. If you read his testimony, obviously I was not that effective <laughs> of a youth pastor. But, um, yeah, Chad Williams. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like, SEAL, having that as a job, maybe that's the most macho job of any guy I know. But um, Keith, man, I'm just telling you, like, he builds motorcycles from scratch in his garage. He restored a stingray. He but you're like five foot flat. House. Everybody is like macho to oh, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of true, man. Like short man syndrome kicks off. But yeah, just having a friend that macho makes me feel good about myself. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So, you know, because um, I'm like, dude, he's super macho and he's he's my friend. Yeah. So it's well, kind of like my, my whole machismo. My, my whole point and what I was saying is just it's, <laughs> it's the model that I think is where we've we've really screwed it up. And it's also our society because where are you going to find a pastor today or someone who wants to get started in ministry who is thinking something different than, well, you know, isn't this the way ministry is supposed to be? I'm supposed to go get a job at a church. Like who who even thinks differently than that? And that's well, that's it, a problem at the core, but it is a problem. That's that's where we got to go back. That's what we're kind of saying right now is we're we're going back and saying. And so we we broke down like currently right now we're looking at things like we moved from we had a unit called fundraising. We moved it to uh, reproducible sustainability. Just even changing the name to that, you know, like how would I? You know, rather than funding, I got to get fully funded. No, it's not about your paycheck. It's never been about your paycheck. Like you, you watch guys where they plant a church and then their church plant can't pay them. So they shut the thing down. And we've gone back and said, we need to make sure that never happens again. How dare you start a church, claim that this is something that God wanted in that area. And then because it can't pay you a paycheck, you feel you have the right to shut it? Come on. Yeah. Like, you know, you didn't raise up another leader. To, like, maybe there's someone else in the wings who's going, hey, you know what? Like, I'd really like to serve here. Well, and, and this is part of the problem is we're talking about reproducible sustainability, if I can even say it. You know, this is where everything that I always talk about comes into play, things we discuss, which is team leadership, bivocationalism, like all these things. What what I was really hitting on with, with my team was multiple, multiple streams of income. You have partner churches, you have, you know, churches that want to give towards you. You have your job you work, and then you might take a little bit from the church. Paul says that's cool. And yet Paul says, hey, I did not choose to do this. Let me just I'll just grab this little thing called the Bible here. Gosh, you know what? Sometimes we'll get through these things. And we don't read the Bible. I'm sorry about that, listeners. I just now shamed myself. Because, um, uh, you know, we do have this book, the Bible. It's got some amazing things in it. Like when you listen to Paul, when he talks about, he says, um, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Okay, so this, this is where he talks about, I know how to abound and how to be in need. And I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's saying, there are times I have plenty, more than enough. 
There are times I don't have anything. And I've learned, like, that's Paul, like the greatest church planner ever. And and in verse 14 of Philippians 4, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Now, this is his second missionary journey. He says, so I, I, you know, I just had you guys as partners. He goes on to say, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So there's partners, right? But he's not fully funded. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied. Um, and then there's another part where um, Paul talks about how he worked with his own hands and did not exercise his right to receive from the gospel. And then he goes on to say, I did this as a model for you to imitate us. In other words, he's saying, guys, I didn't have to live that way, but I did because I wanted to show you this is how you get the gospel out. That's that's phenomenal, dude. Yeah. So, And I do, I do just think that that's the biggest hurdle is the mindset. You know, we talk about in business all the time. In fact, we brought it up on uh, might have been this last band of brothers call that I do for the uh, – the bivocational guys, and I know the one on Saturday that I don't come to. Yeah, the one on Saturday that you don't go to because it's business, and you don't really care about business. Um, and also, I, I run a group for uh, detailers, and we went over this in the detailer group. <clears throat> but in both groups, I said the biggest hurdle that everyone has to go through it's the mindset. It's it's the shift that has to take place there. And uh, you know, I'm going to use this guy as an example. A. David, who's uh, a member of our Bivo Inner Circle, uh, he's been in it, at this point, maybe a year and a half. And he had one of the biggest mindset shifts that had to happen. And it took him probably the longest of anyone who sticks with it. There are plenty of guys who quit. They, they quit on themselves and they just quit. And I really think it's that they're three feet from gold, that old story, right? Three feet yeah. from gold, and they just quit. Right. Uh, because the biggest hurdle is the mindset shift that has to happen. Right. And for A. David, it took about a year for that mind shift to change. And when it did, he went from like this on the bottom, barely scraping by, barely making any money, trying to do ministry, totally frustrated, totally everything, to... His life is completely different today, completely different. And he's just like, I I, I can't believe the freedom that I have. But it was a mindset shift that had to happen for him. And I would say that that's what has to happen in the way that we do ministry. But And I don't know where it starts because if you think about it in the seminary, they're already going to seminary with that mindset of – when I get out of here, I'm going to go get a, a pastorate somewhere. Right. I remember um, working at summer camps and uh, <clears throat> talking with, um, you know, because people who know me know that when, it, when I went away to college, that was like it for me. Like going back home was not an option. 
So every summer I would be like, look, I got to find a summer camp somewhere that's going to hire me because I'm not going back home. <laughs> like I have to go to someplace that can put me up, feed me, house me, and I will work for them. Uh, I would have joined the military. Literally, I would have joined the military if uh, they would have taken me. But I got knee problems. I had them my whole life. They wouldn't take me. So I remember talking with this one guy. And he goes, yeah, it's so hard to get men to work at summer camps. And I was like, what? Really? Because I'm thinking, dude, I, I don't have to go live at home. This is like college. This is great. And he's like, yeah, because they all want to become pastors. So they all go to churches. Like if they're ministry minded, that's what they're thinking. And I'm like, well, lucky for you, I'm not ministry minded. I just need a place to live. Right. But, but like apparently the mindset in, you know, seminary college is already that of I'm going to go be a pastor somewhere. So let me go get an internship at a, at a church. Let me go be a youth pastor at a church and then I'll work my way up. It has to be modeled. So like for me, that's what I've been doing since 2000. Really, my okay. So, in in all honesty, my entire ministry, um, other than the the longest I ever stayed at a place on staff, was let's see, ninety ninety two to ninety eight. So six, almost seven years at my very first, you know, pastoral experience. And from there, man, I didn't last anywhere more than three years, mm-hmm. and I thought I was broken. Okay, so the conversation came the other day. Well, look, we don't we don't know where you'd find an apostolic leader. Like, so for example, right now everybody's just going into wanting pastorates. But I I suspect there were guys like me because someone asked me in the meeting, "How do you know though? How did you at some point? Obviously, you have to have planted churches before you know you're apostolic." And I said, yeah, but there were indicators way back when. And that was that I would get bored. I would, things, right when things would start going really, really well, it was time for me to go. Just something switched. And I remember thinking maybe I'm like a a ministry, like achievement junkie, you know, like I got to do this and do that. But there is a satisfaction, like I am ready to leave now. And Paul had that. Right. Um, he, Wesley had that, like apostolic people have that. And what I said is I suspect that we're going to find that people that are in collegiate ministries like crew and, um, uh, different campus navigators, um, you know, people that are doing these other kinds of ministries, um, that aren't running churches, that those are the past, the apostolic leaders of tomorrow. They're already doing so. No one sat them down and said, hey, you're apostolic, but they're out there doing things. And by the way, when... when That actually makes a lot of sense to me. I yeah, can totally see that. because it is apostolic ministry they're currently in, yeah. but the church isn't providing that platform for them to actually live out apostolic calling, which see, is ironic. We, we've talked about this before, that the apostolic uh, minister is, in a lot of ways, like the the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur is different right. than the business owner. The business right. owner is like the pastor, right? He's going right. to stay at one place his whole life, do his thing. The entrepreneur, right. it's like as soon as we do one thing, we're like, okay, what's the next thing I can do? Right. What's the next thing I can do? Right. And that's part of the reason why I personally like consulting because I get to work with a client, and then when I feel like I've done everything, okay, cool. Now give me another one. 
right? And right. then I get to work with another one, start over at the, the ground zero and then build it back up. And that's very much that apostolic mindset that a, an apostolic leader would have. Absolutely. It is. And it's, and it's interesting that Paul was both. Paul was an entrepreneur. He became an entrepreneur in the business world. I mean, he had to have some moxie, first off, to leave Tarsus at a young age and go study to become a rabbi, right? Which is what he did. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. So he was a rabbi in training. Paul would probably have been uh, one of the next great, we'd be talking about uh, Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Gamaliel, and Rabbi Saul, right? Like, in history, Jesus hadn't gotten a hold of them. But the reality is, um, I do want to make this disclaimer. I totally agree with what you're saying. Paul was both entrepreneurial and apostolic, um, and there are similarities. But I do want to throw out also the, the disclaimer. What I'm noticing right now is a lot of guys who say, I'm entrepreneurial, assume they're apostolic. Mm. And like you know me, I'm apostolic, but I'm not ap- entrepreneurial. Right. I but see, I don't know that I would say that that Paul was entrepreneurial either. I would say that Paul was a business owner. Like he didn't mm-hmm. run from business to business. Yeah, he true. had one business that he knew he could do. He probably knew Correct. here's how I get clients. Right. Here's how I fulfill on their desired needs, and here's how I make the money. He just packaged it in such a way that he could take it from place to place. Because here's the other key thing. That, okay, so that maybe that's a difference then because. For me, it's the fact that he had to always start it up again and get new clients made me think maybe he's entrepreneurial. I think he just had a system for it because I think one of the things that you're hitting on that I think is really, really important, <clears throat> there are a lot of, of pastors that I can think of right now who have started side businesses in an mm-hmm. effort to reach their community. Yeah. But those side businesses have, have uh, I would say, taken a dominant position in their life. And now it's like the entrepreneur or the business owner whose mindset is, well, how big can I really make this business? When really I thought it was just a tool to help you reach the community. And that's, and there's, there's a danger there as well, right? Cause now it's like, well, I fall in love with this thing that I do yeah. more than reaching the lost, which is what God called me to do. Right. You know, so I mean, there, there is definitely. There's a hard mix there. There's definitely yeah. a hard mix. Yeah, and I and I've found that really fascinating with some of our Vivo guys where they've come on and said, Hey guys, I'm going through this weird thing because you know, right now I'm I'm able to do this thing and like you said, I'm loving it and I have money now. I didn't have money before. And they're going and it's my mindset's changed and they're working through it. And I remember when they brought that up. You know, like imagine church planner that your problem is you're actually making money. That's that's where we get right now. I would say before they join Bible Inner Circle, the problem is they're not making money. Once they join Bible Inner Circle and they do what they got to do, because just joining it's not going to get you money, but um, doing what you got to do in it. But then the problem is I'm making money now, and this is new for me, new right. levels, new devils, and it's been interesting because that's where I think Paul's. I remember speaking into this, particularly when A. David shared about this and other guys were echoing, yeah, yeah, and we've heard it before. But I remember saying, well, go back to that verse I read, Philippians, where Paul said, I've learned the secret of having abundance. And like each one of them is its own struggle. 
And Paul, I'm sure Paul felt that tension when he, because he says it like it's a problem. Like, Udi couldn't learn the secret of having abundance. Why would I have to learn a secret about that? Because Paul knew that there were new struggles that he would have to, he would have to fight against things like security. Like, imagine Paul, he doesn't stay anywhere longer than three months. He's in Corinth and business is booming there. That was the commercial center of the ancient world. Bigger than Rome. It was the gateway between the East and the West. And here's Paul at that city. Priscilla and Aquila are there. They buy a house. They're killing it, right? Um, in fact, Ephesus, Rome, and, and Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila buy a house in each. So you see that he's probably really business partners with them anyways. And then he's training his guys up and sending them out. But Paul says, I learned the secret of being content in those situations. Because he had to make sacrifices, I think, at times, you know, the, the ministry had to, because, hey, I've got to feed these mouths and what have you. And then at other times, back and forth, that's our whole Bible balance that we talk about. But at the end of the day, you can imagine Paul going, you know, I, I've learned the secret of being in abundance and how to handle that because the gospel still needs to go out to this area. Yeah. And I can't just stay here and make money. Think about guys go like, next city. like John Wesley, who had breweries. Very, right. very successful, and that's how he funded right. ministry. But yeah. he could have been like, "Hey, you know what? I can make this the biggest brewery in the United States." And like, oh, money he made from books, and a lot of people don't realize this. Like, he sold uh, and a medical um, a medical book. He wrote a medical book. I mean, dude lived till like he was old. I think he was like eighty nine or something when he died. In really amazing health. And he would say, hey, you got to sleep on a cold floor. Like, get all this. Some of it's wacky. Some of it's true. Some of it's like, I don't know, the jury's out on that one. But he, he, had, some, he had some questionable medical advice. But it was working for him, you know. And, and at the end of the day, Wesley made a buttload of money off of printing. Right. And, you know, like we said, the brewery. And he had a few other people gave him land. And Wesley set a stipend. It didn't change from that. Um, but again, the question, do I stay or do I go? Guys, here's the question. If there were a system, and, and this is something that, that we can help you with. I gave you a little sneak peek into my next book where I spell out the system I've devised. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure there's better ways. It's just, we're not talking about this stuff. We're still just running on the old wine skin, wondering why the new wine's not pouring out anymore. Um, new wine, new wine skin. Right. New, new, new ways to hold what God wants to do. And by the way, this is going to happen in future. I mean, I've, I've been tracking like movements of what is going on with young people right now. And there's things like, you know, uh, churches that move where they're going to be every week. I mean, my, one of my closest friends in San Diego is Bo Moffat, a guy that I trained over the last few years and still partner with. And, and Bo did that first few years of his church, missional community, just met different places, grew up to about 85 people. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you know, there, there's a huge movement right now of a church in Southern California that does that. Tons of people are coming to this and they'll be like, Hey, this week we're going to be in this warehouse in this industrial park and boom, we'll be there for this night. Meet us there. Then they'll send out another email a couple weeks. So we're going to be here now. And, you know, it, it's a movable feast. Um, Kirk Overstreet will call pop-up church. And so we're, we're seeing all these different ways of reaching people. But unless we have these conversations, I mean, at the end of the day, when I get there, I just want to do church. 
You know, I just I just want to take communion. I want to hear preaching. I want to use my spiritual gifts. I want to worship. I want to pray. I want to do all the things. I don't want 30 minutes of worship, and I don't want 30 minutes of a sermon. I want all those other things I talked about that that are equally as important to me. Um, so I'm I'm not keen on you know like I want to do first century stuff. But at the end of the day, um, we're just stuck. So should I stay or should I go? That's a question. If you find yourself um, feeling restless and and you feel trapped by the church you planted because of money and finances, chances are. You need to go. You just need a system of that that will allow you a system and structure that will allow you to do that. And it's not too late to do that. But of course, you guys can get in touch with me if you want to know more about that. And uh, in future, I'll probably be writing about it. If you guys don't know, I write a blog, PeyjonesNinja. Um, you'll see it on Facebook, annoyingly popping up on your feed. Um, but you can check that out. Cha-ching. And uh, anyways, um, hey Pete, while they're busy. Um, deciding uh, whether or not they can stay or go. Just, there's just no good way to segue into that one. Um, what should they do about their finances? Well, they should definitely have some backup help and someone to help them maybe with payroll, workman's comp, building their website. In fact, uh, I would say anything that they could do to simplify church for themselves, they should do. Ooh, simplify church, Pete. What if they went to simplifychurch.com? What magic things would await them? What? Simplifychurch.com, you say? <laughs> they would find all of the magic that we just talked about. A business that's there to help simplify your church at simplifychurch.com. Yeah. All the things. All right. Well, hey, guys, thanks for joining us today for Church Planner Podcast. This has been Peyton Jones. And Babyface Mitchell, reminding you, if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. And if you're the guy that gave us two stars because you didn't like smack talk, no one cares what you think. No one cares what you think. Like you don't care what we're doing with our lives at the beginning. We don't care what you're doing with your podcast time. Keep it to yourself, pal. Church Planner Magazine. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. dot